Welcome to Manager Tools. How to Train Your Organization, Chapter 1, Who and When. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. How should I schedule my organization for training? How should I attend training with my team? Should I go to the first or last training sessions? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. I'd say, Mark, that a lot, and I, I want to say most, that sounds bad. You might say most, but I'll say a lot of executives think that training for their organization is for their organization, but not them, right? Yeah, it was a classic example to the extreme as the CEO. He says, I'm having problems with my executive team. Would you spend some time with them? I said, sure. What are the problems? Oh, it's this and this and this. I said, okay, well, when are we going to do this? He says, I don't know. Get with them. And uh, so, well, are you going to be there? Oh, no, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody else is a problem. I'm good. Which violates that rule of when you're looking for the causes of problems in your organization, start looking for them in increasingly larger concentric circles around your own desk. Yeah. And so our marketing strategy is to just annoy the, the people that pay to hire us. Good one, dude. Yeah, I know. I know. Yes, I know. I, I mentioned that the other day. I was in uh, Philadelphia with a client, and I said, you know, guys, don't shoot the messenger. Somebody's got to say this. If you surround yourself with only people who will tell you stuff you want to hear, um, pretty soon you'll be shocked at how bad things get. But yeah, training is fairly often poorly attended by executives. Unfortunately, what that does is when executives don't attend, there's a, uh, a noted um, lack of motivation or reduction in motivation to implement the training objectives by the middle and lower level managers. You know, if, if you want your training to be effective, unfortunately, in addition to be being an executive who has the budget to afford training, you're also a leader. And part of your job as a leader is set the example um, before, during, and after training. Um, so uh, our guidance is, yeah, you've, you've got to attend the training. I mean, look, if you're going to do the training, then you have to spend the time um, or put differently. You don't have to, but you'd be wasting your money. Yeah, exactly. So what's the outline? So it's simple. Our first one is leaders attend training. We'll tell you what and why. And then, interestingly enough, we've tested this. When it comes to how you m schedule training, it's better to have different levels attend together as opposed to starting from the bottom or starting from the top or having groups go together. And actually, this particular cast, the writing of this cast, and we've alluded to this before, but I get lots of notes from people who say, you know, I know you've talked about this here and here and here and here, but it'd be nice to have all that guidance together because I feel like I'm not getting anything, getting everything when pieces of it are, you know, when you add a little snippet here and there, an additional thing that's not in the original show notes. Um, and I had um, an exchange with a longtime client executive, and there was a question uh, he had about our executives managers, which is our recent podcast, um, about which, by the way, Mike, lots of people are talking to me. And they said they didn't know a lot of the stuff in there, which, hmm. uh, which embarrassed me because... I realize I, I have to go digging into stuff that I take for granted. But basically, the person said, you know, I, I, I'm not a manager as an executive. And so we had a discussion about that. And I said, no. He says, yeah, I am a leader. Yeah, I am an example setter. And I said, yeah, but you didn't attend the training. He says, well, I'm just too busy. I have other things to do. And, and of course, the conversation went on from there. Not that I've ever used that, ex that excuse. Yeah, no, neither have I. Neither have I. Um, but again, guys, as I said to somebody in Washington this past week, I said, 
we do these casts not because we were good at this stuff, because in fact, we were bad at it. We didn't know this stuff. Mike and I didn't know this stuff. Nobody taught us this stuff. It's embarrassing how stupid some of the things we did were. And it was only later when we started to learn this stuff that Mike suggested, hey, we ought to do a podcast and share it. So I tell a lot of groups when I say, hey, you're not doing it right. Make sure you remember 25 years ago when I was in your shoes, I wasn't doing it right either. But look, if you want your training to be effective, and I want to be clear, I want to spend a minute and a, and a little bit talking about what effective training means, but I think I'm going to hold that for a future cast. You've got to attend the training if you want people in your organization uh, to attend the training. We can't actually prove with data that leaders attending the training guarantees effectiveness. That's not the way the data set works. But we can prove that when leaders don't attend the training, training effectiveness, training success is so drastically reduced that the absence of a leader, if you pardon the expression, setting an example in the training, you won't get the results you intend. Um, and it's, it's pretty significant. So I guess we're trying to motivate with negativity there. Sorry. Uh, but the data are pretty compelling. I just feel like maybe we should talk a little bit. We're not talking about necessarily all training here. And I'm, I'm just worried that some people are going like, well, I, I don't expect my executives to come to my C++ training or my Salesforce training, right? That's fair. That's fair. It isn't true for all training. It's only true for training that addresses behaviors that the leaders reasonably engage in, like subordinate levels of managers and non-managers. So executives or leaders don't need to attend training on updates to Salesforce process changes. Uh, if they don't enter data into Salesforce, they don't need to attend vendor training on how to change dies on a new piece of machinery in the manufacturing facility. And obviously, shop foremen don't need to attend sessions on international customs and courtesies if they don't travel overseas. Yeah, uh, I'm talking about managerial training, organization-wide culture change, uh, strategy sessions. Business um, ethics might be an example, right? Yeah, bu yeah, business ethics. But if, unfortunately for something on business ethics, one of the problems we have, and I remember talking to a huge, huge client of ours a number of years ago, and they said, you know, if it's standard training, we're really trying to do it video at the person's desk to save money. And, you know, I get that. Um, that's essentially a compliance effort, but boy, the way to do ethics training, obviously, is to have your senior leaders and executives hold sessions and have them talk specifically about what they expect people to do. and Look people in the eye and say, hey, I expect you to be truthful and honest. And if we catch you not being truthful and honest, we're going to fire you. Yeah, that's good ethics training right there. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Effective, I should say, effective ethics training, generally. Yeah. Um, but going back to the point about how we want you to come partially because the data says if you don't come, it's bad. Um, I can't prove that executives coming means good training because there are plenty of times where the executive comes and the training doesn't work for all kinds of reasons. But if you want to guarantee the training doesn't work, just don't go, right? Tell your organization, I want you all to get trained on this, but I'm not, I'm not going to go. It will further the divide between you and them. It will make you seem arrogant, um, and removed, and all of those things destroy trust. Trust me, I've done many of them, and I regret all of it. And when we talk about executives being managers, we include the part about leadership 
um, because executives, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, are leaders. And if you're a leader, you have a responsibility to set an example. If leaders are all self-dealing in an organization, pretty soon the organization will become self-dealing. I know that from years and years and years of watching behaviors within organizations. But look, when we're talking about management as an example, and that's our view of the world, fortunately or unfortunately, executives are managers. If an executive buys training and then doesn't attend, it's significantly harmful to the organization's likelihood to change. It's pretty simple. If you're an executive and you tell your managers you want them to attend training and you don't yourself go, it takes an enormous and usually expensive effort to inspire behavioral change in your managers. They don't like the implication that you're fine, but they have a problem. And I know we don't intend to tell people that you have a problem when they go to training, but most training, particularly management, leadership, supervision, so on, is crap. Um, Now, we know ours isn't, and it almost seems punitive, the kind of training that people get. And so if a manager feels like something's punitive, it almost feels like she's getting punished for how she's not good at her job. And people don't like the sense that they have to go to training, but but you don't. And that whole executive as a manager thing, uh, if you really start believing that I'm an executive and that makes me a manager just like all these managers, it will start to change the choices you make about how you spend your time and so on. You know, look, it'd be nice, guys, if managing and leading other managers towards effectiveness were as easy as do as I say and not as I do, but it's not. And unfortunately, that is a standard, I wouldn't say majority, but a plurality of executives in the world today believe that different rules apply to them. They enjoy the fact that they have king's X authority to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or yeah, I said I'd attend, but I'm not, and I'm not going to send you a note and so on. They believe that the niceties of interpersonal interactions and so on don't apply to them. They believe they can walk down the hall and not smile at anyone and ignore everyone. And I'm just telling you, you're wrong. It may make you feel good, but it's a totally selfish move that gradually begins to erode the fabric of organizations, great organizations. Part of the fabric of great organizations is trust. In my opinion, this is one of the central problems of executive management today. And it's the difference between arrogance and humility, between hubris and um, respect, between trust and um, individual satisfaction. Because trust takes two people, and individual satisfaction only takes one. And look, it gets worse. This is even true, our guidance. If you've already mastered the behaviors that you're asking your managers to get trained on, the fact that you went to the training before doesn't help, even though it really probably should. We get that, hey, you've already been to the training. Why would you want to go? But that's a function of optics, regrettably, versus the tactical time management advantage you get by not going to the training and be able to get something else done. Yeah, the value of the organization is, is not that, that you that you do it. It's that you get the entire organization doing it, right? That's, the, that's where the leverage is. Yeah. And when I had this conversation with this executive, I, I feel like I was only 80% engaged because in my head was this conver- this podcast uh, toward the end of the conversation with this guy because, you know, he was having a fundamental problem with what he wanted to do, which I disagreed with. But a good person, you know, making reasonable choices, just I thought wrong. 
because he didn't want to have the leadership example setting part of his job foisted upon him. And I thought, you know, this person is the kind of person who would make an efficient choice and it wouldn't be effective and then would wonder why things didn't go well. And I hate to say it, but it ends up being worse after the fact because the executive didn't go. The managers feel like, oh, he or she is better than us. And then because of that, the training doesn't take. And then the executive says, they're even stupider than I thought. Yeah, the whole efficiency versus effectiveness thing. There ought to be some horseman law or rule or some uh, pithy statement, because uh, that's not going to come out of my mouth. We know that. But yeah. <laughs> man, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a big deal. 10 hours worth of improvement in efficiency is worth one hour improvement in effectiveness. There you go. Just right off the top of your head. Okay, good, good. Okay, I hate you. I hate you. I know. This is all I do is think about this stuff in my head, talking to myself like I'm crazy. I'm going to examine your math later, by the way, just, just, just so everybody knows that I do that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you need to do some data on that. You do. You need some data. And look, even if you're already modeling the trained behaviors faithfully, and I'll give you the example from us, but I don't mean this specifically to us you know, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. Attending with your subordinate managers will save you 10 times the hours you spend being retrained, okay? It might seem painful because we never all, all of us never have enough time, but the example you're setting and the opportunity you have during training to reinforce lessons, describe your experience, encourage other people, let them know it's okay to fail as they learn things new going forward. It turns your spending into an investment with a return rather than just spending time. I hate that phrase, spending time, because spending implies no return. Investing time sounds like I get a return out of it. So we recommend you attend training. Um, all of our data says you, you won't get the effect without it. Attend early so that everybody else knows you've attended. Don't attend last. Um, because then everyone will wonder why you're not going. And when they find out you went later, well, first of all, they may not find out you went later. And then when they find out that you went later, they're like, why would he go at the end? And look, bloody hell, introduce the training day that you attend. Start the day off with a personal story or an you know, a interesting backdrop to why you are where you are. Tell people that when you were a manager, when you were an individual contributor, you struggled with this stuff. Okay. Tell them, I don't know how to do this stuff and I'm going to try to do it. And we're here to learn together because the, the executive who doesn't attend training sends a message to managers. I did this in private. You should do it in private. Be careful about how much, how you willing you are to make changes to what you do. Cause heaven forbid you make mistakes because I'm doing this so well. Now, if you've already uh, mastered the skill, I'm doing this so well now that it'll look like you're just learning and you'll way behind and have your directs, if they're relatively senior to folks, maybe two or three levels down that are attending sessions, attend different sessions than you. Have them fly the organization's flag. Have them introduce it. Say, hey, guys, you know, I'm a VP, and I'm here to learn just like you, and I'm going to make mistakes, and we're going to make mistakes in front of each other. And if you go back to our corporate website, it says we're going to innovate. We're going to try new things. We're going to fail going forward. If you say all those things all the time, but then you're not willing to attend training, you're not willing to practice things, you're not willing to get things wrong, you're not willing to try to get better, and trying to get better includes failing at new efforts, then just take the website down because you don't really mean it. Okay, second thing, 
ideally, our data show different levels attending together, senior and junior people attending training at the same time versus a striated training approach, top-down or bottom-up, at different levels attending together is notably better in terms of uptake and resiliency of the ideas or, or the use of the ideas six months, a year, two years later. Some organizations say, we'll have the senior people go first. And, and that look, that appears fine. It's a form of organizational example setting. You know, we leaders, not executives, we leaders, we're all going to go first. And I'm going to tell you, there's some value to it. We don't want to tell you you're wrong to do that. It can work, but there's also a danger. Many organizations who take the top-down approach, and only you would know this about your organization, folks, but it happens far too often. Maggie and I have this conversation with clients several times a year when we're going to train everybody. Some organizations say to us, we don't think the junior people will want to learn with the senior people. Now, obviously, that's indicative of a trust problem, which will undermine any training efforts that aren't targeted at building trust. Hey, maybe we ought to try one-on-ones. But in most cases, this is what's really creepy bad about this when we dig into it. The idea that we want to learn by levels, it isn't about protecting junior personnel. It's about protecting senior personnel from having to learn in front of junior personnel. They literally want to see, no, senior people wouldn't want to be there in front of the other. What? Your senior people are so brittle, so vain that they won't learn in front of junior people. When I think about the leaders and executives that I've admired, they'd, they'd sit in there and they'd want to be in sessions with junior people to talk to them about what their experience is like. Hey, how's it going at that level? God, it's been 25 years since I've been there. Do they still have X? I'm sorry, sir, what? Do they still have X, that thing you do with the thing? No, sir, I've been here seven years in my role and I've never even heard of what you're talking about. He says, oh, it used to be so much fun. He says, one of the things we used to do is every Thursday night, couldn't do it every Friday night. We would cut out at four o'clock and we would all go have one drink before we went home. Now you got to be careful. You can't drink if you're going to drive home or whatever. But because we had an office in the city, we were all on the subway or we were walking or taking cabs home or taking a bus to another bus depot or whatever. And so we all had a drink and we basically tried to, in a way, start the weekend a little early. And these young junior guys, I saw that exchange, by the way, these young junior guys go, really? And the, the this guy was a COO. He says, what did you think I was weird when I was your age? I was normal, just like you. I didn't expect to get to this level. And the junior guys are just staring at this guy. And then he goes, do you guys do that? Do you guys get together? Oh, no, we don't. I mean, we would never dream of leaving at four o'clock. And this guy looks at him and says, dudes, you need to start leaving at four o'clock one day of the week and have a drink together or go have a cup of coffee together or go sit at Starbucks and just chat. You don't have to drink or eat anything. Get the hell out of the office. You guys got families, right? couple of guys nod their head. This kind of exchange is priceless, in my opinion. The misapprehensions, the lack of understanding by junior people of senior people and by senior people of junior people is, uh, maybe it's not pandemic, but it's epidemic in organizations. And the only way you can have some sense of connection is to have trust between all the levels up there but even with trust between five levels of organization, the COO or an EVP or a senior VP having that kind of conversation with junior people is fairly unique, right? I, I think it's harder. The example you use with the COO, I think is fairly benign. I don't think that COO is at risk for having at that conversation. It doesn't feel that she or he is at risk, right? But when it comes to managerial behavior, I have this theory in my head. I can't prove it, but I... I 
I absolutely believe that the majority of managers and executives feel like fakes half the time. I mean, they're they're just worried about being found out, right? One of the reasons right. why we're doing manager tools, frankly, most managers think that they're faking it. And at some point, their directs are going to find out that they don't know what they're doing. And so to, to have the, the executive subject themselves to um, being in a manager or leadership related kind of training just feels like they're exposing themselves to their lack of knowledge. Yeah. And to have a COO, and, and uh, he also said, I wish I'd have known this stuff when I was 25. I didn't know this now stuff. That's powerful. Well, that requires the confident executive, right? Yeah, the implication, of course, is some executives aren't confident. Holy Toledo, the decisions, size of decisions executives make in big organizations, you better have some confidence. I don't want it to be hubris or arrogance, but confidence and arrogance and hubris are three different things. Look, if your senior people can't tolerate learning in front of subordinates, they can't tolerate running the risk of being wrong, they can't tolerate having their habitual behaviors be shown to be inefficient or ineffective or both, or if they think that because of their rank, they're protected from change when in fact, everything the organization puts out publicly is about we're changing, we're innovating, we're new, we're creative, and so on. Your executives are creating a culture of hiding one's mistakes from the organization. And worse, they're quashing the energy that implementing new ideas requires. You have to ask yourself as a leader of an organization, can I see my directs practicing, say, during the training session? Can I see my directs practicing with subordinate and getting stuff wrong? I hope you can. Can I picture my executive colleagues laughing at their mistakes? Or are they so brittle that they can't afford to make a mistake in front of subordinates. And by the way, that may not be the organization. That's ultimately the individual, but somebody hired them. Um, can I see executives encouraging others to try new behaviors by setting an example and doing it and being willing to hear how they did? And then when somebody critiques them and says, well, you, you missed this part of that step, the executive goes, hey, thanks, I, I didn't get that. That's good. Man, you talk about lightening up a room. The other managers will turn around and go, Hey, he's pretty cool. As opposed to, oh, okay, good. Thanks for that input. But then not the executive not changing the behavior. Can you hear an executive congratulating others for sharing ideas, for asking questions? Can you hear them, if you picture them in the session, praising others for their enthusiasm in the session? All these things are standard leadership, example setting behaviors. If you've got executives who can't or won't do this stuff, they're not behaving like leaders. They'll put a damper on the change that you hope to achieve during and after the training. Right. And, and look at, like, as you're going through those questions, I'm imagining some executives and leaders that I've known in the past and can absolutely see them in my mind exhibiting these behaviors in these training sessions. And talking about creating energy and a willingness of folks to go out and change managerial behavior across the entire organization, it's, it's completely powerful. Just think like the, just contrast it. I'll just paint a picture that came to my head as you're going through those questions. Now, folks, if you work at Uber, don't write me, don't kill me. I know one person does not define an organization, although in this case, it certainly was not useful. But imagine Uber in the days of Travis Kalanick having business ethics training and sending everybody to business ethics training and not going himself. 
right? I mean, yeah. what are people going to say? They're going to go like, well, yeah, this is just to get the regulators off our back. I mean, it's not going to engender any kind of willingness to engage in different behaviors. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have heard me say, you don't stop learning when you get old. You get old when you stop learning. I actually had a young guy tell me a couple of weeks ago, I can't believe you're still reading 200 books. At some point, don't you know it all? And then I said to him, I said, the one bit of knowledge I learn exposes me to 10 things that I know I don't know. Like, I just don't know. So you don't get to stop learning when you become an executive, for heaven's sakes. Your learning responsibilities increase. Now you have to keep learning, but you also have to encourage learning in other people. And you have to model a change-friendly mindset. Mike, I think you've told me this before. Becoming an executive is like what martial artists say about becoming a black belt. If you're an orange belt, a green belt, a yellow belt, a red belt, a white belt, you aspire to be a black belt, to get to the top. But as you, I think you've told me before, Mike, and it was you that said, being a black belt is only the beginning. That means you're now competent, but now you get to learn the art of it. It's only then that the real learning actually starts. And if you're an executive and your learning is just starting, you have got to model a learning attitude to the managers and, and subordinates, if you will, in your organization. If you don't do it, learning will die and people will get promoted to executives without the interest in learning, but rather the interest in self-preservation. And an organization that's not a learning organization will, regardless of how much it puts on its website about innovation and change, won't be able to sustain it. So look, summarizing, if you want your organization to develop new skills, set an example and attend training with them. Don't exempt your senior people. That's professional snobbery. Executive level responsibilities are about humility, more responsibility, not perks and benefits. And don't let your junior people go first. You're going to be wasting your money if you do that as well. Now, look, we called this chapter one. I've been asked so many for so many years about doing stuff on training, and I've always stayed away from it because I felt like it was a little bit of self-dealing, but finally I've gotten over that, and I want people to know whether you hire us to do training or not, you know, it's important that whatever training you do, you do it right. Chapter two of this series is going to be in a cast where we explain why you don't really want training anyway, because the, the goal of training is not training. We're really not kidding about that. And chapter three, we're going to recommend some training logistics because I just had an exchange with somebody who literally thought that the worst training setup in the world was actually the best. And there's more chapters after that as well. We're actually good at training. Once again, <laughs> Mark and I have conversations, folks, all the time about how just completely awful we are at marketing. And here's once again proof, which is we do a lot of training and you're telling people you really don't want training anyway. Good. Thanks. I, I appreciate being that I manage the finances. Yeah. Somebody's got to tell the truth. What, what is that thing? If you tell the truth only when it benefits you, you're not a truth teller, right? So I think executives, the ones that I know, the ones that I admire, the ones that I want to help grow their organizations and make their young professionals better are the ones that don't tolerate sycophants, don't tolerate yes men. I'm probably pretty far from being a yes man, but. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> shocker, shocker, yeah. shocker. Just folks, everybody knows, I'm, hopefully knows that I'm kidding when I say things. <laughs> All right, my friend, talk to you next week. See you next week. 
All right, everyone. So long.